It's November 5th, 2014, and welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. It's another special edition today, as Bert and I are on the road, but we've prepared a great hour of conversation for you today. First, we'll hear about a couple of great upcoming events from our two news guests. And, of course, joining us today is Steve Sue from Biz Gym Foundation to tell us about the upcoming Biz Pitch Camp and... Then we have Brian Butling from Startup Weekend Honolulu to tell us about the global startup battle. Finally, we've invited Omar and Tariq Sultan from Sultan Ventures to tell us about Accelerate UH, as well as Jacob Isaac Laurie of Flywire Cameras to tell us what it's like to go through the program. Today's program is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take your calls. But as always, we welcome your feedback. You can email us at any time at news at bitemarks.org. So first up, we have Steve Sue from BizGem Foundation, and he's here to tell us about the next Biz Pitch Camp. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, Bert, Ryan, and Brian. What's going on, guys? Great. It's good to have you back. And, you know, I'm hearing about the, the BizGem Foundation. We, mm-hmm. we, I think we talked about Lemonade Alley years ago. Years ago. The very indeed. first event. I mean, first of all, it sounds like you've been very, very busy. A lot of things going on. You drink lemonade and things happen. It's good lemonade. Yeah. <laughs> Entrepreneurial lemonade. So, you know, not only was uh, Lemonade Alley something that we talked about years ago, but I think somewhere in between you had spent some time in, well, not some time, but you had gone to China. You had made yep. some contacts in China through, yep. uh, uh, um, was it um, High Beam, right? High Beam, yeah. Beeling took us out there, and right. we actually did a deal with China. So I was like, wow, that can actually happen, and it happened very quickly. So hats off to— And so that's still, that's still going on? It is indeed, yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're taking the next step up. In fact, the BizGym product has been recast uh, as an entrepreneur's startup tool, mm-hmm. and that seems to be the right position. We're more general before to general business, but now we're really focusing on the startup community, and it's a whole that you know has its own needs, mm-hmm. and it's a plenty big one, so we're happy to fill it. Well, mm-hmm. tell me, tell, for those who don't recall about BizGym, and I liked it too because everybody talks about business plans, and you can yeah. go out and find Microsoft Word templates that are business plan templates, fill in the blanks and stuff, but right. th- th- there wasn't much personality to them, and it's a different world in terms of putting a business together. So BizGym was a way to to create a business plan, but in a very, I thought, an intuitive way. It's it's like a Mad Lib on steroids. So we take more of a Twitterized approach approach to business planning. And the thing is, if you talk to an old person, they say, not planning is planning to fail. Mm-hmm. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. But in the startup world, we're like, well, if we plan, we don't have we, we don't catch the market. The market goes past us so fast and it's so hurtful. It takes all the passion out of business. So why am I even doing business? So now we have, you know, like Steve Blank's canvas and uh, lean startup techniques mm-hmm. where just throw it out there and see if it works. And if it doesn't fix it. And I think that's a great way to do business. Mm-hmm. But there is validity to planning because you want to measure twice and cut once. So what we did with BizGym was we created a process that makes it really fast. We don't call it business planning now. We call it pivot planning. So Mm. the goal is to capture like 101 great ideas about your business and knit them all together because that's what creates a true uh, resonant business model. You know, you can have an idea, which is, I want to make widgets and sell to this audience, but, well, who is the audience and what's the competition and what's the IP, you know, the intellectual property and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do I sell it? What are the financials? So you have to have answers to all of those things. The idea with BizGym is to iterate those things all very quickly. If you have an epiphany, you can go to your phone and poke in, like, basically a header for any section, and you're that much further to capturing your idea. And particularly for startups, because we are pivoting so fast, it's very difficult to just like say, this is it. 
and and know it. Nobody knows that. It always changes. So that's the premise of of Bisgen. So and the, and the Lemonade uh, Alley event was you let uh, students use sort of that uh, process <laughs> and try to pitch. You know, lemonade, lemonade, lemonade. Every it's all lemonade. Maybe you can have a different flavor, but it's also about how you present it, how you design your booth, yep. uh, what the what uh, what you're adding to it, and and making it more of an experience for your customers. And so I think and it led to the Bisgen Foundation, which is now Indeed. a nonprofit. Isn't that amazing? How things that, that's the the thought threads of business happening. Mm-hmm. So five years ago now, we're going on our fifth year for Lemonade Alley. I can't believe it's been five years already. It's an annual event. Annual event. Uh, 2011 was our first year. It was a year that APEC came to town, and That's many of the right. small business startups were like, well, we're not getting any press, and there's all this world press. There's 21 leaders of the world coming here, and we're getting nothing out of this. So we put together this. It was essentially a, a press op where kids were going to show the world how to do business. Mm -hmm. And this was like in the bottom of the recession. Everything was like falling, you know, it was chicken little. And so the kids were put out in front of the cameras with lemonade stands. And we told them, make anything you want. It's got to be, got to have lemons, can't have alcohol or any (laughs) illegal substances. Um, Package it as fun and as nicely as you can. Kids are amazing branders. And they're amazing sellers. They know how to upsell. All that stuff is very intuitive to them. Mm-hmm. So to give them a business modeler like BizGym, we, we have a, a piece called the Story Tree in, in BizGym. And it's a one-page business plan that uses a tree as a metaphor for your business. So think of like the roots or the things that feed your tree. That would be the business model, the IP, the trend that you're working on. And then the trunk of the tree is your brand. What, you know, what do you carve in the bark? You know, what's your logo? What's your slogan? What's the name of your company? And by the time you get up to the leaves, you're doing the fruits of your labors, which are what is the thing that uh, the product that attracts people? Is it a free trial? Um, do you have a destination product that people have to have because it's the juiciest um, fruit on the market? Right, right. And then there's always that extra fruit, right? You know, we grafted on a branch that it's like this isn't just the mango tree; it's also something else. And normally the the margins flow, you know, there too. So if you figure like the the trial product is the cheap one, it may be free or even a loss leader. By the time you get to the upsell, you're making bank, and mm. every kid gets that, so they can run this tool. Uh, and, and we had tremendous traction back in 2011 with the schools, uh, private schools in particular, using BizGym in mm-hmm. the entrepreneurial classes, which is a real trending topic in schools even to this day. So we make this lemonade stand competition, put kids up on stage. They got to pitch for a minute about why you should buy their lemonade. And we all we did this like in two months. And, and the pile-on was ridiculous. And so we ended up getting, like, 69 teams trying to enter. We could only take 30, and, you know, 3,000 people show up, and all the press shows up. We had more press on the Wednesday of APEC than APEC got locally. And oh, that's really a, a fantastic, you know, thing to happen for these kids. They're all over the press. Mm-hmm. And so that whole thing now has just kept going. Capital One came up and said, we want to give you money to blow this thing up. And so we're like, sure, we'll take your money. But we didn't have a way to take their money. And they said, well, let's start a nonprofit. We're not knowing anything about 501c3 filings. We, we had a, uh, some volunteers go and do it for us. We have to this day, we have tremendous volunteer staff. We've got a volunteer bookkeeper. She's doing all the books for us. Um, We've got, uh, you know, volunteer people that run all the programs. The programs are expanding, as you know. We're going to talk about some of those today, I think. Um, So super exciting stuff going on. There's so much um, energy in the startup community here, and we're doing it in a a fashion that it's not being done anywhere else. And to my mind, that's extremely important for Hawaii. You know, people kind of lament that we don't get enough brain trust and we don't get enough money and you know what if you have the right ideas everybody freaking shows up (laughs) it's not that hard 
But you have to have the right idea. It has to resonate. Lemonade Alley is a very good example of it. People say, wow, that's a really amazing brand. It, but what is a brand? The brand is the story. Mm-hmm. And it's not a fake story. It's an authentic story that has every subplot going on. How many times you go to a movie and the movie's like, wow, well, great action fl- you know, flick, but is there a romance element? Or you know, did the brother have a character arc? And is there something that I can learn from? Because even movies have a value proposition. I want to learn how to, wor- uh, to save the world, and I want to get the girl. And I want my brother to learn something too. So, so, so this uh, biz pitch that's coming up, I mean, uh, this is something brand new. I haven't heard about this. I would imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this yeah. one's grown up. Totally grown up. So Biz Pitch Camp takes place November 8th. It's a, it's a Saturday workshop, one day, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at ProtoHub. N- new cool workspace. Uh, now this is a this is a commercial part of the venture, right? Not yes, or, correct. Okay, yes, so but but it, it goes to benefit uh, Lemonade Alley and programs within mm. the foundation. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, but yes, it, it is a uh, we charge for it, so it's a hundred bucks for a person. It's three uh, two hundred bucks for three people, and the goal of this is to teach uh, startup enterprises really how to pitch well. Now, there's many pitch camps around. But we're taking it to a high-level art, which I'll mention in a moment. But really, I think um, uh, with this particular session coming up, we're really trying to be more of a workshop, hands-on, than a lecture. Mm-hmm. And we've got some great speakers coming. Kimmy Bomolero, who has actually been our Lemonade Alley MC for four years running now. She's a bundle of energy. Holy cow. And she is a, a real live actor. Mm-hmm. You know, like she has like ridiculous credits like on Broadway. Uh, high and, five. Uh-huh. Yeah, high five out <laughs> in Australia. And, I mean, Emmy award winning, et cetera, et cetera. That's not Emmy like at the local level. That's Emmy at the national, you know. These are really significant uh, achievements that, that she's uh, brought back to Hawaii because she's from Kaneohe originally. So, uh, you know, so Biz Gym is coming up. I mean, Biz uh, Pitch. And you're really taking in, what, just about uh, anybody who wants to learn how to do a pitch from a, pitch. a pro? Yeah. So um, this is a program for HTDC. And mm-hmm. it primarily started with their um, Mano Innovation Center uh, um, cohort. But uh, Better Business Bureau joined in, as did many others. And so Better Business Bureau wants to have uh, some of uh. their small companies come in and learn the art of pitching. The art of pitching to us is um, learning all the fundamentals of a pitch. is four key fundamentals. And then we take those fundamentals and we teach you four different types of pitch. So we've got the investor's pitch, which we call a fastball. It's like you know, fast, direct to the point, hit the strike zone. Uh, we've got a sales pitch, which is we call it a curve. Uh, not a curveball, a, a change-up, mm-hmm. so change people's minds. We've got an interview pitch, which is the T-ball, easy enough for even a kid to understand because when a reporter gets you in front of the mic, you better know what you want to say. The T-ball, yeah. And then the advertising pitch, which we call a screwball, which is it's got to grab people's eyeballs. It's got to be like, wow, look at that thing. I like the metaphor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, But those are four very different audiences. And if you are able to pitch within those audiences, and we're going to do that rotation style with coaches, Kimmy Bamalero, Tara Kumans, Rob Berthoff, um, they will teach you the finer art of uh, pitching for specific audiences. So that's this Saturday, the 8th yep. of November. And if somebody wanted more information or to attend, where should they go, Steve? Biz Island. Dot com. B-I-Z island.com. Oh, sounds right. good. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, guys. Now, joining us here in the studio with another event that you're going to want to check out is Brian Buteling from Startup Weekend to, to tell us about the upcoming global startup battle. Welcome to the show, Brian. Good afternoon, and thank you for having me again. So, of course, we've covered Startup Weekends and winners from Startup Weekends. It's it's basically trying to come up with, pitch, build, and deploy a business in one weekend. But what is the global component? What is the global startup battle? So the global uh, battle, uh, startup battle started two years ago. And in an effort to sort of 
uh, bring together these communities around the world because the whole purpose of Startup Weekend is to cultivate and develop startup communities within these ecosystems. And the idea of global Startup Weekend battle was, again, to bring all these communities together and do it on one weekend. So in the past, we've had it, I believe, in 100 different cities globally. And this year, our goal was to hit 200. And so for uh, next weekend, we're going to be having it in 200 different cities around the world. And for the first time ever, Honolulu is included in it. Mm. Yeah. So, so normally when you have a, uh, a startup weekend, that's just, a, that's just a weekend that you choose to have in Honolulu. And that's sort of a, uh, an isolated case. Correct. In correct. the global startup battle, mm-hmm. it's like... All these other cities are all participating yep. kind of all at the same time. Yep. yep. And then, again, the, the, the purpose is to get awareness out there. So there's going to be a ton of uh, uh, chatting going on via social media. We have uh, the hashtag GSB2014. Um, and cities just around the world are going to be competing with each other, um, updating each other on how everyone's doing. Obviously, Honolulu is on the later end mm-hmm. of the timeline. So we'll be able to see you know, how weekends around the world are ending up and finishing and then we get to present ours towards the end mm-hmm. now are they are so they're competing globally i mean usually a startup weekend is just amongst the people that participate on that Correct. weekend but uh whatever the coach or the ju- judges determine will sort of mm-hmm. play into sort of a global uh competition so what we'll be doing this year is we'll have a videographer around and mm-hmm. then we'll be videotaping the final presentation day the demo day and then we submit that to the corporate and corporate will then review all that. They're going to go through 300 cities. They're going to go through the top three teams. And then they're going to basically let the let the viewers or, or the community determine it. So they're going to have voting throughout three weeks. And the top teams will then go to a final stage. From there, they'll be picked by the corporate team itself. Now, anybody can participate in the Startup Weekend. A lot of Correct. times people show up and just say, put me to work. I want to be on a dynamic, interesting team. Yeah. And you'll hear a pitch and say, all right, I want to work with that with that gal or that, girl, uh, that guy. Um, but a lot of people come in with predetermined ideas, Correct. with a team ready to go. Correct. Um, and I'm always interested to hear like that mix between uh, sort of organized teams with the, with the built ideas or things that happen spontaneously. Uh, do you think there's a theme or something happening in the industry that is really attractive to people right now? Uh, we were talking last week about Apple Pay and all of that. Mm-hmm. So is that is payment something that people are interested in? That's actually a really, really good question. And so with this, this is going to be our sixth startup weekend. And we've kind of taken, we've collected data over the past events. And what we've noticed is we want to have it be sustainable after the weekend. Because for me, the most important thing is actually Monday, the day after the weekend, because we want to have these teams to continue. Because it's great to have been put on a weekend and and get everyone jazzed about it. But to really continue the effort of leading these people on and creating these businesses is the real goal. And so what we've decided to do this weekend, and I'm happy to announce, is we're going to be launching a sort of shortened themed this year and what it is Hmm. is we're going to be solving a local Hawaii problem with the most impact and the sustainable business plan and we're going to have a special prize for that so it's going to be the general startup weekend but we're going to have a offset vertical which Mm -hmm. is focusing on a local problem here and the idea behind that is if it's a local problem it's something that's going to be surrounding you day and day out and so it's going to be something that's going to kind of give you that itch. You're going to see it. You're going to pitch it at the weekend and you're going to see that problem on Monday and you're going to want to solve that and I think that's something that We'll get Hawaii really, really jazzed because once you solve it here locally, we'll give you the tools to be able to scale it globally. And I think Hawaii, well, I know for a fact Hawaii has a lot of 
not necessarily problems, but industries here that we can kind of tap into and be leaders um, and sort of set our flag here in Hawaii and be the global leaders of these certain industries when it comes to, you know, solving the problem of traffic. I know that's been a huge issue. Uh, sustainability, uh, alternative energy, uh, the visitor market. I mean, we're Hawaii. We can introduce tech to that or farming or anything like that. So is the idea that you kind of put the word out beforehand to give people to sort of start to think about some sustainability challenge that they yep. want to undertake yep. and then come in be, and be prepared to launch Correct. that? Because normally on a startup weekend, you know, you might come in without any idea or maybe you have an idea and yep. it doesn't really, uh, uh, you have to be really quick about pitching it right at that moment. Correct. But if you have some time to think about what it is that you want to pitch and then come in, yeah. I think you'd have a, a good chance of you know, getting some good team members yeah. to join you. Yeah. I, th- I think if you ask everybody that comes, I mean, I would say of the 100 people that show up at our event, 80 to 90% have a million ideas that they come into and mm-hmm. they're always thinking like, what is that idea? What is that idea? What is that idea? So if we kind of want to direct them now and focus that energy into something, again, that's local. Um, and, you know, if, if we can push them a little bit that way, great. If not, you know, fine. And that's why we're keeping it kind of broad because it's going to be a launch for next year. And next year we're going to introduce more and more themed events and so, vertical So events. if anybody was really kind of thinking about it and listening and they put together what BizPitch is doing mm-hmm. and maybe get the, uh, the sort of the pitch down, and then one week later, they're you know right into the global uh, startup battle. Yeah. I think they would be, and then thinking about the state sustainability challenge, yeah. they yeah. would be very well prepared. Oh yeah, yeah. To be you know well recognized. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know what. Uh, we just did a partnership right here, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, so right here on Fight Marks. Wow. <laughs> what a coincidence. And yours coming up first and then, you know, and, and start a Yeah, learn to up. pitch and then go and pitch. Yeah. Right. In it, fact, Brian, we know. have a uh, – there's a whole consortium of growers that are coming specifically to do a grower's pitch because mm-hmm. they, they, they don't want to sell through farmer's market. They want to create their own environment. Yep. And huh. I think technology could play very well. But those guys have no clue on how to do technology. Yep. So – we can pass them right over Definitely. To, to startup. Yeah. And and at every event, we always pitch uh, BizGym. Um, sounds thank you so sounds much. like a happy family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, can we extend that? I mean, is there a way to, to get a discount to either of these events, uh, to the very smart, very intelligent, very entrepreneurial thinkers that listen to our show? Let's do bite marks as a, co- as a coupon uh, as a code for both code. events. Promo, co- promo code at uh, Biz Island for sure. Yeah. And then uh, for uh, Startup Weekend, you can go ahead and visit our Eventbrite swhnl.eventbrite.com and use bite marks one word and you will normally the tickets are $99 and we'll get it to you for $75 sounds good so thanks uh, both Brian and Steve for joining us thank you very much thank you thank you gentlemen and of course that's what's been happening this week we'll take a short break and when we return we'll be joined by Omar and Tariq Sultan to talk about the Accelerate UH Accelerator program we'll also hear from one participant Jacob Azik Laurie of Flywire Cameras and perhaps another calling in as well we of course would want to know why you would start an accelerator program at UH what does it bring that other accelerator programs don't Uh, today's show is pre-recorded though so we won't be able to take any calls. But of course, we hope you enjoy the show. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Are you looking to spice up your evening listening on HBR2? Then join me, Ray Cruz, for HBR's newest locally produced program, Latin Beat, every Wednesday from 8 to 10 p.m. I'll be playing Afro-Cuban Latin jazz, Latin big band classics, and talking about the history and culture of Latin music. That's Latin Beat coming to you live Wednesday nights at 8 here on HBR2. You 
know, it's diverse programming, and one of the things I like is that uh, the more I listen, the more I was able to find different things on public radio. You know, their Saturday lineup and their Sunday lineup are entirely different, but it's a great way to multitask with both information and diversion as a part of the experience. You have a lot on public radio that keeps you both informed and entertained. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And uh, joining us today is Omar and Tarek Sultan. And, uh, of course, we also also have uh, Jacob Isaac Lowry from Flywire, and he's also here. And, of course, uh, both Omar and Tarek are partners in Sultan Ventures, a consulting firm offering services to entrepreneurs and investors. And Jacob, meanwhile, is a graduate of the university and a participant of the program. We want to hear from all of them. What role does Accelerate UH play in the innovation economy? Today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take any calls. Now, Omar and Tariq and Jacob, we want to welcome you all to Bite Marks Cafe. Thanks, Bert. Thanks, yeah. Ryan. It's great to be here. Great. Thanks now, for having us. You know, we um, we sort of uh, caught wind of uh, Accelerate UH because I, I think I saw a Twitter tweet or something, and or somebody I said, hey, are you going to the uh, uh, Accelerate UH uh, uh, program that's happening? And I said, I didn't really hear about it, but uh, tell me more. But it was it was very interesting because it sounds like some of the ex- other accelerators that are going on. You know, you got Blue Startups, you got the Energy Accelerator, and you got you know some things happening up on the neighbor islands, but Omar, tell us a little bit about Accelerate UH and what is the sort of the um, the genesis of this idea? Sure. So um, the genesis came from the work that we were doing with the Upside Fund, which is that seed stage venture fund that's run out of UH Foundation. Mm-hmm. So as we were doing that venture fund, what we realized is that there were a lot of technologies that were earlier stage and needed this sort of help and guidance and resources that a proof of concept center or commercialization center could help with. And that sort of helped... Um, Bring that uh, the accelerate to fruition. So, was there was do you did you see a lot of sort of uh, opportunity deal flow happening out of UH? I know, you know, some of the things that were happening with regard to entrepreneurship, like even Startup Weekend was kind of happening on UH. It was like an educational version of it, which was more. Uh, I think there was more of a curriculum um, um, basis to it, and that seemed to be getting a lot of entrepreneurs interested on campus. Did that help to kind of uh, maybe? add some interest in doing a whole, you know, accelerator program? Yeah, absolutely. All that activity helped um, push this forward. And if you think about it, the university does, you know, several hundred million dollars of research every single year. I mean, they're getting the federal monies to do that. So if you want to talk about the area that has the most innovation or the hub within the state that has, like, innovation, research, and development happening, it's the university. So it seemed like a natural progression to form some sort of accelerator or, again, a proof-of-concept center to support those type of activities that were happening at the university and help get them forward, move them forward within the uh, startup continuum and get them out into the marketplace to benefit society and the state. Mm-hmm. Now, Omar, Tariq mentioned that one of the challenges is that a lot of the startups that may form in Hawaii are more early stage than what you would typically see in a more uh, more evolved or a more uh, uh, further along the pipeline accelerator. And I think one of the challenges that some of the other accelerators might face is, is that mentoring piece, that training piece, the curriculum programming piece. Uh, so I can definitely see the need for the university to try to commercialize things that are done with research, but it sounds like this is something that's even more wider ranging than that. It's not just for research or or technology that's being developed at UH at this moment, correct? 
Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, that's right. So it's actually open to all people of U- University of Hawaii affiliation. So that includes students, entrepreneur, um, entrepreneurs within the, within the university, researchers, faculty, and even alumni. So w- what we're trying to do is is improve upon the you know regional economic development. Um, and and really, what we're looking for is is for those entrepreneurs that have an affiliation with the university um, to pr- and are looking for a little bit of mentoring connections, et cetera, that most accelerator programs have. So mm-hmm. alumni, so I could try to find a way into the program, perhaps? Right, yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, the idea is that the university is a big proponent of innovation, entrepreneurship, and commercialization, right? So we are continuously filling in the gaps in terms of, like, getting intellectual property, getting research, getting innovations out into the marketplace. You know, we have uh, we have uh, Jacob uh, here also, and uh, he's got a company called Flywire. I want to find out from you, Jacob, uh, when when uh, um, Omar and, and Tarek put the word out that uh, there's a, a cohort for you know to apply to the uh, Accelerate UH. Uh, what went through your mind, and, and was it something that you said, "Oh man, I gotta I gotta you know put my company through that," or what was it that really attracted you to Accelerate UH? Sure. Uh, well, I think. You know, to really kind of give the best answer, to put it in a little bit of context, you know, for me, I came to the university uh, for graduate school Mm -hmm. in mechanical engineering. I'd I'd always known I wanted to do something with entrepreneurship as I'd kind of gone through my career. And what I really found at UH in the community was that there's a lot of resources dedicated towards helping to empower the students there be successful in that vein. And that's something, in my experience, that you don't find in a lot of places. Um, So I was really excited. Uh, for the company that we've built where we're at to be able to be involved in the program. And uh, we've been in, what now, two months, three months, something about like that. And the experience has been phenomenal. I mean, Mm -hmm. just in terms of the mentorship you get, the coaching, the quality of the people that are involved in the program, uh, really goes a long way towards making the difference in being, you know, the one in five startups that succeeds or the four out of five that don't. So it's been a great program. So you have uh, you had already graduated uh, from UH or are you still in school? No, I actually I graduated in May. Mm-hmm. So had just graduated. And I've what you guys opened the uh, the call midsummer, late summer. Yep. Yeah. So it was pretty good timing, actually. And it transitioned out of school. I was putting together the the bones of the business while in school, um, and after graduating, had transitioned into that full time, which was a nice fit. Mm. Rolled right into the accelerator, which actually, in retrospect, I mean, has been a, a good way to do it. Well, how did you uh, how did you get the word? I mean, was it uh, put through the engineering department, or how did the how did you know no, people yeah, that you for get, sure yeah, yeah. Um, so actually uh, mine was a little bit different um, I had spent some time in some of the classes and then taken an interest in Pace and Susan and mm-hmm. uh, you know some of the other entrepreneurship classes so and I, Pace, I, Pace being the Pacific Asia Entrepreneur yeah, uh, Pacific uh, Asian uh, Center, yeah, Center for Entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship. Yeah. yeah and so I'd met a couple of the people there and had actually reached out to them um, once I'd gotten a little bit further along with our business and they had referred us uh, to this new program that was getting set up so. now you know we haven't given you the benefit of telling everybody what Flywire does oh. and so I think you know, that'd be <laughs> kind of an interesting thing to to share. Yeah, for sure. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you got it up on the computer. That's nice. Um, basically, what we've done is we've developed a uh, it's a new mini uh, HD wearable video system that's mm-hmm. modular. And so what we're really doing that's different than anything else that's out there right now is is we've got a system that can more accurately capture what people are seeing as they're seeing it, right? So we're basically videotaping people's memory in full HD video. And then beyond that, because of the way the system goes together, you can take it apart. There's a lot of different ways that you can use it. Uh, instead of being something, you know, like a, a 
pair of glasses with a built-in sky camera, spy camera or something, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. can actually take a fly wire and put it on your own glasses. So in a lot of professional spaces, law enforcement, medical, things like that, people are looking for a solution that can basically turn the things they already know and use into video-capable devices, and yeah, that's I, what we're working on. I couldn't resist. I was looking for the website, flywirecameras.com. Beautiful presentation. Just a full-screen video of examples of oh, this. Oh, thanks. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll ask you, um, you know, right, the, everyone's excited about the new GoPro Hero 4, for all sure. of those action-adventure people with lives much more interesting than mine. For sure. We're interested in that. Of course, you had uh, Google Glass last year that never really took off, but mm-hmm. everybody basically said it's a camera strapped to your head so you can take pictures of what's in front of you. Uh, what's your value proposition? Uh, I, I like that you said it's modular. You can yep. attach it to anything else. Um, how do you answer sort of that, that market challenge from, from bigger brands like GoPro? No, that's a great question. And I think what it really comes down to is kind of what we're trying to do strategic to st- the, strategically as we build the brand and really not looking uh, to compete with a lot of the existing systems in the spaces that they already occupy. But because our system can go places, can do things, can work in a lot of environments that existing products can't, Right now, we're really focused on developing those types of smaller niche markets uh, where our early pilot customers are very responsive to the the technology. They Mm -hmm. like the results. They like the the value of the video that we can deliver for them. So really, uh, I think the the initial reaction that a lot of people have when they think of anything wearable video is, of course, GoPro. They're very popular, all in the news. Google's real high profile with the stuff that they do. Uh, But we're really focusing more on a lot of mainstream sports professional activities where people are looking to add the value of video to augment what they're doing. And they don't really have a good solution right now that's practical. It and that's like where we've really resonated. It's just a USB cable with a little camera on the end. I mean, Pretty like close. a GoPro is a big blocky box that you kind of mount to something. And, Absolutely. Well, Google Glasses, I don't even know what they're thinking. But I can totally see just plugging this USB and even mounting it here in the studio, yeah, for example. Absolutely. We've got mounts that can do that, too. I, I think one of the other things that we're, we've done that people have found pretty interesting, too, is we're also trying to incorporate a lot of emerging manufacturing technologies like 3D printing, things like that, so mm-hmm. that the product itself can be customized, that's flexible. And so what we offer as a business solution is not just a piece of hardware, but an actual tailored solution that fits your needs to develop something that's valuable to you. No, this is really great, Jacob, because uh, you know I love to hear what some of the startups and, and entrepreneurs are, are doing. We want to get back to the actual program that you're going through sure. in terms of uh, Accelerate Your Wage, but I also want to welcome uh, Milton Garces uh, from the Big Island, who's got a company called Red Vox, and, and I understand, uh, Milton, that uh, you're also one of the uh, companies part of this, uh, this cohort. Yeah, it's been quite the learning process for us. Um, we, I'm just a researcher at the University of Hawaii, and uh, we've discovered that our cell phones can pick up this really low vibrations in the atmosphere called infrasound, so a very low frequency sound. And, well, that pretty much changes everything. Uh, we used to pay, like, lots of money for a single sensor, and now we have them in our pockets. So we're trying to figure out how do we make this available for day-to-day applications and physical applications and make it accessible to anybody. So um, make sure I can understand. Uh, so when you're studying, say, for example, a volcano or, or, or low resonance and very low frequency sounds, before it was a very specialized piece of equipment, but now people are standing at the Kilauea Visitor Center or out on the uh, out in Pahoa, and, and there's vibrations that their phones are able to pick up even though the people owning those phones aren't aware of them. So you're just exactly. trying to tap Exactly, and we've used them for research and uh, hazard monitoring for, you know, over a decade. And uh, it's, it's been difficult because we're challenged by sparsity. We can only afford so much. And now that we can put it in everybody's hands, now we have an opportunity for crowdsourcing, for citizen science, 
for anybody answering basic questions is how loud how loud is the world around me and uh, volcanoes uh, tsunamis earthquakes anything big that blows up produces these type of signals as well as industrial processes so so uh, milton as a as a user how would i want to let's say use redbox uh, as part of let's say a, a, a bigger crowdsourced or citizen science project well, let's say, for example, we want to, we, our, our first bottle product is going to be for surf, for big surf. And uh, if you are by the coastline, when the waves come in, the whole ground shakes and the atmosphere is vibrating continuously. So if you happen to be a surfer and you're by the coastline, you're going to be able to tell how big that wave is, how hard it broke along the coastline, and be able to do a, a, a full coastline monitoring of it. And that's just a beginning that allows us to collect a lot of data very quickly because ultimately what we want to create is a, an essential artificial neural network that learns how to identify all these things by itself. Ultimately, we want to create artificial intelligence. That's somewhere down the line. Hmm. But having something that senses the world around them, automatically mm-hmm. identifies them, and can tell us this is what's happening, these are the threats beyond the horizon that could be upon you, and having the ability to collect that data at scales of millions. So, so basically, uh, if somebody would have their phone, <clears throat> they would launch the Redbox application. It yep. would gather up all this information around their environment, and it would uh, perhaps what store it in the in the cloud. Or how would you, let's say, um, aggregate that amongst other people that are monitoring? In that example that you described, you know, the the surf uh, uh, environment, would they all have to be basically turning their phones on using Redbox and and collectively? grabbing whatever sort of uh, environmental data uh, through Redbox, and that would contribute to the sort of the aggregate crowd, crowd uh, science? In one of the scenarios, that is the case, where you have your own app and say you're interested in what's happening around you, immediately around you. You turn that on, and you have onboard capabilities. These little mm-hmm. phones are supercomputers, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they That's can do a lot of things. And then if you wish to, um, to volunteer that data, it will go to a server and aggregate all that information and do processing on each one of those individual pawns as a, as a collection, mm-hmm. and now, then create a product. And by that point, we'll have not just user-specific ones, but our own phones that were deployed all over the place. I can definitely see the research applications, and you talked about one very clear consumer application, which is understanding the surf without you know something that's different from webcams or just people calling into a surf line. So with all of your, your extensive background in research, I, I did want to learn about how you got to get into the Accelerate UH program and, and said, thinking about this entrepreneurially, think about this as perhaps a business solution or a business opportunity for you. How, how did that come about? Well, the opportunity presented itself not just to not just to start a business, but to learn how to start a business. I, I'm, I mean, I'm just a domain expert, which means I'm somebody who knows a lot about one thing, right? And to be able to start a business is not trivial at all, especially since we have all this infrastructure we've invested over the decades to build here. So when UH said, yes, we'll teach you how to start a business, and you can use the infrastructure they've built to the University of Hawaii to develop that business, I, I thought it was a unique opportunity. It provides also an opportunity to throw a long arc. Essentially, uh, a lot of research is uh, held uh, to, the, to the whims of the program managers. So once the program manager loses interest or a program closes, then that's it. That mm-hmm. research line has stopped. In a commercial venture, you can say, if this has value, it will continue. And it's a self, 
self-replicating, self-feeding process. So I like that, that opportunity to actually throw something that it's going to take decades to build something that is sufficiently intelligent to recognize sound and classify it automatically. And this is an opportunity to do that. So, so Milton, um, uh, uh, what, you know, you're on a big island. Are you, uh, what's your connection with UH and how did you, I know you, you heard about the program. What, what department did you hear it from and, and how did you sort of decide that you wanted to uh, apply to Accelerate UH? Well, my director, Red Butler, is a very progressive uh, uh, person, and uh, he saw this opportunity and sent it out. And, and he's, uh, he's with which? Uh, which and said, well, I could do this. Um, I'm faculty with U- University of Hawaii, Hawaii Institute of Geophysics and oh, Planetology, okay. so geophysics. And uh, we have a station on the Big Island that uh, monitors for clandestine nuclear tests. So we have a legacy system that is, uh, that's already in place. And this is the big element with the geophysics happened. We have earthquakes, we have volcanoes, we have tsunamis, mm. and we have hurricanes every now and then. Most people run away from those things, and I, I'm inversely wired, so I run towards them. So, <laughs> you <laughs> so and journalists, where probably. I live, and this is, uh, <laughs> we collect a lot of data right on sites of relevant geophysical processes. That's very interesting. So, uh, so Milton, we want to thank you for, uh, for joining us. That's, uh, that's great information, and uh, what we want to do is kind of get back with... Uh, Tarek and, and Omar to talk a little bit about what the program actually entails and how, you know, they'll benefit uh, startups like you guys. But thanks for calling to yeah. share in your experience. Thank you. All thanks, right. Milton. Thank you. So, so, you know, I guess uh, what I'm kind of interested in, too, is that uh, as a as a accelerator, um, I mean, the, the model that I've been kind of familiar with is that the companies will come in, they'll probably spend, the, you know, a better part of the three months sort of immersed in this accelerator environment. But it sounds a little bit different with the Accelerate UH because you have people that are, you know, sort of disparate, I mean, not, um, dispersed across the, the geography. Um, I'm kind of curious, what does the program really entail? Right. That's a great point. Um, because we're working with so many researchers who actually need to dedicate a lot of their time to being in their lab and because we're in the state of Hawaii where a lot of this research is happening on multiple islands, mm-hmm. on the neighbor islands, um, our program's a little bit different than the traditional, you know, you show up on Monday through Friday and you go through the to, through the workshops and curriculum. Um, we actually only have classes on Saturday. Our sessions are on Saturday. And what we did for this program is we took the best practices from a number of different models. So it's not only just an accelerator model. It's really Accelerate UH is more of a proof of concept commercialization center. Mm-hmm. And so what's, what makes us different from traditional accelerator models is usually they'll come in um, depending upon the program, it's anywhere you know from twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars at a time, and it's just you know it's just that one chunk of money that gets deployed to the teams. What we what we did, and it's kind of a one size fit all approach. What we decided to do was break them up into two different tracks, two different phases, and so really focus on the two components, right? That proof of concept po- uh, portion and the commercialization portion. Mm-hmm. So phase one tracks are more focused on that developing that proof of concept. They have an idea, they have a little bit of, you know, a little bit of market traction or field testing and they really want to actually develop that prototype, that beta, whatever it is, that proof of concept. The phase two teams um, like Jacob are more they've already developed that proof of concept and they're just ready to sprint forward now start accessing our industry contacts our network etc and really focus more on the commercialization aspect and so the what we ended up doing was forming this this four point model of best practices from other university tech transfer programs from other accelerator programs from other just in general startup venture programs and what we came up with is the traditional accelerator model. So it's a set period of time. And in our case, it's a 16-week program. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, it's similar to the global accelerator network model 
um, Techstar models, Blue Startups model, right? So it's, a, it's X amount of cash for X amount of equity over 16 weeks. Mm. The second thing is it's a milestone-based approach, right? And so what we'll do is we actually work with the teams at the beginning of the semester to outline a few milestones that are based more on hustle than actual um, deployments or deployments of funds. So you don't actually need any money to accomplish our milestones, but it keeps you hungry, it keeps you lean, and it keeps you focused. The third thing is a reverse classroom setting. And so in that case, the entrepreneurs are actually learning from each other, with each other. So they're, they're actually sharing best practices. Um, everybody is critiquing and, and, and helping the entrepreneurs advance, you know, whether it be in their pitches, whether it be um, you know, just struggles that they're facing. And the last is you know, we incorporate the, the Lean Startup methodology popular, popularized by Steve Blank and incorporated by the NSF. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you know, this idea of the sort of reverse uh, classroom, uh, are, you, are you sort of bringing um, – just the cohorts together to learn from each other, or are you trying to also bring in the mentors to, you know, sort of guide right. them along? So, so that goes back to the traditional accelerator model. So we have mentors that are assigned to every single team. We also open it up to network experts and workshops. Mm-hmm. But in the actual reverse classroom setting, it's the teams are, are pitching, and um, whether it's their business model canvas or their actual pitch investor pitch deck, and we actually have active angel investors in the room as well as the Accelerate management team. Um, so all three parties, the, the classes, the investors, and the Accelerate team are all helping the, the cohort go through their pitches. Mm. Yeah, let's get into a little bit more detail on you know, uh, the actual structure because I want to I get some feedback from Jacob on, yeah, on how sure. he's experiencing it. We want to hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Omar and Tarek Sultan as well as uh, uh, Jacob Isaac Lowry and uh, talking about kickstarting the startup scene on campus. We, of course, want to know, uh, has the accelerating program been tried in other universities? Of course, today's show is pre-recorded, so we won't be able to take your calls, but thank you very much much for listening you're listening to Bite Marks Cafe Hear that It's the sound of the sanfona a Brazilian accordion Get to know all kinds of instruments from all over South America's largest country on Brazilian Experience with yours truly Sandy Tsukiyama every Saturday from 4 to 6 p.m. on HPR2 member supported Hawaii Public Radio Até sábado What first got me started was actually my parents. It was just daily morning routine when we were eating breakfast to listen to Morning Edition every day. Eventually, when I grew older, that became even more important to me. If I moved to a new location, I could always find NPR on the local station. And that would sort of be my link to that regular news stream. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Omar and Tariq Sultan about kickstarting UH-affiliated startups, as well as Jacob Isaac Lowry of Flywire Cameras, one of those startups. And, of course, uh, is the, the growing entrepreneurial culture at UH uh, really taking off? And I think we're hearing that it is. This show is, of course, pre-recorded, so we won't be taking any calls. But right before the break, we were kind of getting the uh, sort of the – structure of the program and, and uh, how it really uh, sort of came to be and all the best practices that the, uh, the, the Sultan brothers here have, have uh, come up with. And, and I, I guess it took some time, right? I mean, I, I thought this thing just popped up like, <laughs> like over a weekend, but 
Omar, tell me, I mean, you guys have been working on this for a couple of years? Yeah, so we knew a long time ago, again, you know, going back to the origins of us running that, helping to run that seed stage venture fund mm-hmm. at the foundation, is we knew that this was something that needed to happen within the state, within the university. And so over the last two, three years, we did actually a lot of research in terms of what the best practices that Tarek was just mentioning would be, what would be applicable here to the state, to the university that we have out here, as opposed to just dropping a cookie cutter model that, you know, works on the mainland, oh, we'll just bring it over here and drop it on, and it should be and it should be good to go. You know, that's interesting because um, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious about the timing because, you know, when uh, um, Carl Fuchs came out with the lava fund and, and they were looking for accelerators and Part of you know part of that was what helped got uh, get the um, uh, blue startups started. Yep. But you guys aren't taking any lava funds, right? From no from uh, the H H uh, S D C H S D C. No. So most of I mean all the money that's coming out of uh, or is funding the um, uh, accelerate U H is actually from the U H Foundation, right? So they from the from the University of Hawaii, not from the foundation. Ah, but from the University. Oh, yes. So what part of the University of Hawaii is actually helping fund Accelerate UH? So this is a, a system-wide initiative, right? So it's uh, President Lasner and Vice President Sirmos at mm-hmm. the system level that are helping fund this. Um, eventually, we would love for HSDC, Carl, you know, those folks to contribute financially to our program. But I thought, um, I but thought, for I, the most part, now it's all UH. Okay, but I thought uh, with Carl and and the uh, you know the Lava Fund, they were looking for accelerators, and yes. wouldn't yours naturally fit because, you know, they still have others that they could still fund, but which they haven't, right? So yours would, I would assume, naturally fit. Yes. And hopefully in the future, it will be a fit. Oh, you, know, okay. you mentioned that there's not a cookie cutter that you didn't want to just bring over, but yes. are there models for this? A startup accelerator that we might be familiar with from Silicon Valley, but applied to the academic research uh, institution? Has this, is this happening anywhere else? So there are other universities that are obviously working on commercialization, their technologies out of the university. Most of those institutions, if not virtually all of them, are grant-based um, sort of commercialization efforts. So University of Hawaii with this program with Accelerate UH, it's actually an investment. So mm-hmm. the university is taking equity in these startups that mm-hmm. it's right. investing in. And that's blazing a new trail for, you know, nationwide for public universities that are able to do this. I mean, just earlier this year, the University of California system kind of changed their policy. Uh, University of Washington, so Washington State changed their policies. University of Utah. And I mentioned those because we actually visited all of those universities, again, to look at what some of the best practices of commercializing technologies um, were and how we can emulate, how we can, you know, take some of those practices, mm-hmm. drop them here, and make sure that they work But from an investment standpoint. Now, now you said that this is a uh, system-wide investment, so, uh, you know, as high up as, as David Lasner, president. Yep. At what point in time did they decide that they wanted to invest in this? I mean, and was this something that happened like a couple of years ago and they said, hey, we want to put some money into sort of an accelerator? Was this part of like the innovation initiative that they've been talking about? I mean, does it, if, it, if it is, then that's great because now it sounds like there is some continuity between some of the different programs. Yeah. So the, we always knew that there was interest, and they've always expressed that there was interest, right? But actually forming the model and forming the program and the elements and the structure of it was something that, you know, needed to take time to show that there is um, some measurement of potential success mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, this is definitely one of the first things that is actively rolling out of the HI Squared, so the Hawaii Innovation Initiative mm-hmm. um, um, 
efforts, this is definitely one of those first things, and I expect to see many more. We had we had Peter Quigley come on, and and I don't think they ever he ever mentioned anything about you know sort of this accelerator idea. Yes. So I think this is this is good. No, this was definitely a Skunk Works project for a little <laughs> okay. bit. Yeah. I, I, I'm getting the sense, Bert, that you're really really surprised, <laughs> that you're really, really surprised <laughs> by this program and where did it came I get from. that impression? Now, yeah. uh, Jacob, so I, I'm intrigued by your story because you sure. just graduated and you were in a student environment. You're at a university, and uh, now you're moving into a different kind of educational mentoring sort of situation. Mm -hmm. He mentioned the reverse classroom, learning from other people in your boat, but but how was that to go from what you would say is the conventional university model, the the teacher and many students, to more of the the startup accelerator mentorship model? Uh, was it a uh, natural transition? Did it make perfect sense for you to go that way, or are you now kind of seeing something closer to what would be called like the real world versus academic? Sure. Um, I mean, from my perspective, it was fantastic, right? But I'll I'll caveat that a little bit. I mean, I think um, you know, for a lot of times when you're in a more uh, traditional uh, academic or education environment, right? The incentive is there for everyone to graduate and get out, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the focus. And I think one of the things I really respect and appreciate about the UH Accelerator, you know, when they talk about flipped classroom, it's not just literally, you know, the way you're presenting, it's even kind of conceptually, right? So, you know, the, the environment that you're in there is one where all the opportunity is yours, and you have to, as the entrepreneur, as the team, need to take the incentive and need to make the initiative to actually take advantage of that, right? So you're kind of making this transition from a more sheltered environment where you're kind of pushed out the door to an environment where, like the real world, I mean, you have to be able to do it. And I think one of the nice things about the accelerator that's been the most beneficial for, for our team uh, that I can speak to specifically is that the resources are there. So everything that you need, everything that you ask for, uh, they have the ability to actually deliver that, connect you to people in the community that can answer the questions and can kind of build out the resources of your team and your company, uh, which is fantastic. So, so Jacob, can you uh, sort of describe a, a typical week? Uh, let's say you know, you, you're in the 16-week program. Sure. You're not uh, necessarily needing to go someplace for that week. I mean, but Saturdays you have to go and, and participate in, in whatever uh, uh, maybe classroom setting. Uh, so describe a typical week that would take place uh, now that you're in the cohort. Sure, sure. Um, so we have our, our weekly class sessions is how they start uh, for, the, what is it, the first six weeks, guys, eight weeks? Yep. Yeah, and then they move over to uh, every other week bi-monthly workshop mm -hmm. sessions. Mm -hmm. um, so the material that's covered changes a little bit. But mm -hmm. So what we'll do is go in from session to session. Um, basically, you'll, you'll cover uh, the material for that week, and then the next week, uh, you'll get some updates on the deliverables for the following week, right? So basically, you go in, you have a, a session, you learn, you report out, you get feedback from all the coaches, which the caliber of is actually really great. Mm -hmm. I, I don't just say that. but um, And then you use that feedback to kind of take the next steps with the business, right? And so the point is, every week, you want to be hitting, like Tarek mentioned, these milestones. And they're based on hustle, right? Are you getting out? Are you learning the things you need to learn about what's going to make your business work or not work? And are you course correcting adequately so that when you get to the end of this and you're ready to take the next steps, uh, you're doing that off of a platform that's an actual workable business mm. model, not just something that you thought up. Mm -hmm. and, you know? and Jacob, though, in your case, Omar said, you know, you were one of the later stage. And, sure. I, and, I, and again, your website, you've got product, it's ready to go. Yeah. It seemed like uh, you could have graduated from UH and just taken off. Sure. So what was it? I mean, when where you could have struck out on your own and may or may not have been the next GoPro or may still. Uh, sure. What was it that said, oh, but I, I still 
feel that there's a, a benefit to remaining with this connection to the university and through an accelerator? Uh, absolutely. Well, I appreciate the compliment, first off. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I, you know, I think for me, when you get into this, especially this is my first real go-around seriously, I mean, with, with the venture capital model, high-growth entrepreneurship, and to actually sit down and, and put the, the blood and sweat into trying to make something work. And it's always a learning experience, right? I, I don't know everything. I don't think anybody knows everything. And so when you're making decisions as the CEO, it's nice to be able to have a sounding board. It's nice to be able to be in an environment and a community with people that have been there and done that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've really found in the accelerator. You know, like I said, in addition to some of the extra horsepower to augment the, the operation, which is critical, critical for, for early stage mm-hmm. stuff. Now, um, Omar, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'm, I'm hearing uh, Jacob's story and I, I kind of want to um, maybe get you to share a little bit about maybe the, the Live SIF example because Live SIF has gone through sort of the blue startup accelerator. And you would think that over the three-month period, they, they learned a lot. They, you know, they got some good sort of uh, mentorship and direction. And then it, it, um, it was surprising, at least to me, that they jumped into the Accelerate UH. And I asked them, well, so what are you getting from Accelerate UH that you perhaps didn't get out of blue startups? Uh, maybe you can help me, uh, you know, answer that question. Sure. Um, I think you have to look at it in the sense of like the startup continuum, right? So it's not so much what they didn't get out of um, blue startups. It's it's more about like the next evolution of their business mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how Accelerate UH helped within with that transition, right? The reason why LiveSift makes a, a perfect team within our cohort and we selected them is both Veal and Alex, you know, who are the founders of LiveSift, are instructors at the University of Hawaii. Mm-hmm. So again, you see that you. Uh, University of Hawaii affiliation and that tie-in. And so one of the reasons why this program works and the, the reason why that the university selected Sultan Ventures to part with, partner with in order to do this was that we said, if we're going to do this, we have to do it right, right? And in order to do that, you have to have that wide purview. We're a small state, we're a small island, um, and we have limited resources. So we need to be able to transition and work collaboratively with others in the in the ecosystem, mm-hmm. Blue Startups, Energy Accelerator, et cetera. And that's also why we decided uh, when we were doing working through our educational curriculum to partner with PACE. You know, PACE is the entrepreneurial center of, um, of the University of Hawaii. So rather than create our own system or create our own entity that would focus on that, we partnered with someone who is already doing it and who's already known for it. Mm-hmm. And so that's been, you know, the sentiment that we've tried to carry forward, right? Let's all work collaboratively and as a community increase the uh, the quality of our entrepreneurs and our innovations. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that goes back to the whole startup paradise mentality. Um, so so LiveSift graduating out of blue and entering into our program, it makes sense with the two types of phases that we have broken out, right? Likewise, you know, we hope to work with Energy Accelerator and Bloom Startup Capital, et cetera, the other funds in, on the island to maybe some of the teams that graduate out of our phase two, uh, phase one might go straight into there or phase two go straight into an investment fund, mm-hmm. right, like Startup mm-hmm. Capital. Mm-hmm. And so like Omar's saying, we really are trying to work collaboratively with the island towards this startup paradise mentality. And just, I mean, just to plug them again, I, I can't stress how instrumental and great pace has been in Susan Yamada and this whole process and, you know, opening up, um, well, first off, you know, helping us with the educational components of that reverse classroom setting, um, as well as opening up their network of experts, right, their their VPIRs and their PIRs to, mm-hmm. to the program. Mm-hmm. Well, Tariq, I mean, to a, to a layman like me, I mean, I, it already seems like such a, a natural environment. You're creating an ecosystem, different accelerators with different focuses, different um, expertise to offer. A university has a lot of expertise, a lot of network connections. Absolutely. Um, and so uh, if I 
I could get tap into that for a part of equity in my company and then do very, very well. And that goes back to help my alma mater, for example. I mean, it seems certainly seems like a three to four way win uh, there. So I'm kind of curious how how um, large is the is each, uh, I guess, cohort for Accelerate UH? Um, and how's how's the current one going? And it sounds like I would imagine people might be interested already in the next one. Right. So the, the this initial uh, inaugural cohort is going really well, actually. Um, so we've invested into six teams. We're, we're looking to – we expect that it'll range between maybe three to ten with four to seven as the average amount of teams per cohort. Uh, we'll be opening it up for um, applications for the spring cohort pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, this cohort is doing exceptionally well. So they've already raised over $355,000. Um, you know, only two months into the program so far, and we expect you know a lot more to to happen. Uh, one of our companies has already been accept- accepted into a, a TechStars affiliated program out in mm. New York City, so we're pretty excited about that. Yeah, that just happened. Yeah, Jacob has been doing an awesome job raising money <laughs> from you know, thanks guys, uh, equity side, the debt side. I yeah. mean, and and he's already op- fully operational, so he's already he already has sales over the last uh, several months as mm-hmm. well. I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, with all the uh, excitement about the uh, the startups and you know having six companies go through the the first one, are you um, planning to kind of keep track of them as they graduate? And, and, and in what way will you sort of keep track of them? No. Outside of the well, fact that you got some equity in them, once they're at the door, that's <laughs> it. We don't want to hear. Um, I think that's a that's a great question. Traditionally, what you see is a lot of these companies exit the program, and they try try to stay connected. Some of them have stronger alumni networks than others, um, but we are planning on staying very closely connected to our teams, okay. having them come back and talk to the teams that are in the next cohort and so forth. Additionally, uh, what we've done is we've carved out money for follow-on funding opportunities to further support the teams, right? So if the teams go out and they raise an additional 200000 then we'll put in another 50000 If they raise 300000 we'll put in another 100000 So it provides them that runway to really mm-hmm. kind of get off the ground and running as opposed to once they matriculate out of the program, they kind of hit a cliff, right? Mm-hmm. So we want to eliminate that um, sort of potential. Right. So when we say that, the, you know, the, the two different tracks are 25000 or 50000 for phase one or phase two, the actuality is that you can raise up to 175000 out of this program. And that hopefully will expand in the future. In terms of once they graduate out, it's, you know, we do want to hear from them. And our network um, is always open to them. So anytime they're looking for a resource or connection. Now, Jacob, as a, as a participant and as a former sure. student, is there a single piece of advice or something that you would say to a current UH student who's got an idea germinating? Um, in addition to getting involved with the program, what would help them the most to be ready to participate? Yeah, you know, actually, I was sitting here wondering if I was going to have an opportunity to answer a question like that. So I'm glad that you asked it. Um, I, I think you, to really boil it down, I think for anybody out there that, that has an idea and is thinking about taking something seriously, um, the Accelerator is a great place where you can do that. And I think one of the things I really respect about the team in place that's working on it is that if you take yourself seriously and you're going to put in the work and you're going to do what needs to be done to be successful, they will take you seriously and open up a lot of doors to a lot of people that can really help take you where you want to go. So. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Sounds well, great. Uh, we'll have to uh, leave it at that. Uh, Omar, if someone was interested in this program, where can they go for more information? They can go to xlrhuh.com. Sounds right. good, and we'll put that up on our show note. Uh, Omar and Tarek Sultan are partners over at uh, Sultan Ventures and manage the Accelerate UH program. And, of course, uh, Jacob Isaac Hilari runs uh, Flywire, and we want to be- definitely keep track of what you guys are doing. <laughs> but thank you all for joining us today. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, so you much, guys. Man. Appreciate thank it. You. 
And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we're going to be back and live in the studio to talk about Hikino, the statewide student news network. And of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on bitemarkscafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at news at bitemarkscafe or bitemarks.org. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. And you can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is Jason Taglianetti, and our executive producer is Beth Ann Koslevin. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Swimming and a song called Younger. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe.